Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Simon Burton from Numero. I'm Ryan Preventure from Movio. And I'm Matthew Liebman from Vista Group. Welcome back, boys. It's nice to have the full team back together again. And we actually have some movies to talk about this week. <laughs> we do. Makes for a very positive change, doesn't it? It's been a few weeks since I've, I've been with you, you lads. I uh, had the pleasure of being down in head office last week in Auckland. Um, lovely time of the year down there. Went for a swim in the harbour. It was, was beautiful. We have the photos to prove that. We might even put them up on the show notes if um, if you're bad and Ryan's no. good. No, that would <laughs> certainly result in a, in a decline in our, our listeners. So why don't we jump straight into the box office this past weekend. Uh, looking at the international box office, we had the blockbuster opening of Black Adam, which grossed $73 million from 76 international markets and an additional $67 million from the domestic market. Total a solid result of 140 million opening. Uh, internationally, this was led by the UK market, grossing 6.1 million, followed by Mexico, Brazil, and Australia. Uh, looking at comp titles, this uh, just looking specifically at the UK, this was about 30% ahead of Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, and 37% ahead of Shazam, which uh, which was similar to a number of other markets as well. Um, other films in the international marketplace, we had Halloween Ends, which was in 75 markets, taking $6.2 million, um, a drop of 62%, which is pretty significant, but not quite the, uh, the mark in the domestic market, where it dropped 80% mm. from its opening weekend, bringing the international cum to $27.8 million. Um, and also the Paramount film Smile continues to perform in its fourth weekend internationally, adding another $10.6 million bringing the cum to, to $82 million internationally. And that was off only 36% from its third weekend. Yeah. And then maybe if we pivot to the domestic market, I guess one of the, the positive signs here is the box office earned this past weekend domestically was a little over $110 million. It's about 3.2 times the worst of the doldrums we've just come through in September. Um, I think it was the week of September 9th pulled only about 33.9 mil. So, you know, we predicted that that along with the whole industry that we were going into the doldrums. We also thought we were going to start climbing out. And Simon, it'd be great for you to share the local box office, but it looks like our performances by Black Adam and even uh, Ticket to Paradise have, have helped achieve that multiple of 3.2 times the worst week we've just come through. Yeah, absolutely. Two good solid wide releases there from Black Adam and Ticket to Paradise. Uh, as we touched on Black Adam 67 million dollars at 4,400 theatres and Ticket to Paradise making 16.5 million from 3,500 theatres. Uh, Smile in third position taking 8.5 million dollars for a cum of 84.5 million dollars after weekend number four. So it looks certain to surpass the 100 million dollar mark, which I think is a huge achievement from when we saw that, that film drop into the release schedule a number of months back. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, Halloween ends in fourth position um, and Smile in its fourth weekend, taking half a million dollars more than Halloween ends in its second weekend. Um, if I was a gambling man, I sure would have got uh, some pretty good odds on, on that bet if I had have, uh, had have laid it down. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked a little bit about um, Halloween ends and its simultaneous release last week. Um, that probably isn't enough to account for that, that 80 plus percentage point drop given its subscriber base. But I think one of the, the counterpoints is just how well Smile has performed. And, 
and how anomalously it's held for a horror film. I mean, it must be um, uh, a hell of a competitor to go up against this week as well as potentially next week where we talk about Pray for the Devil. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, if, if we look at the, the biggest drops from opening weekend to second weekend, uh, there are a couple of horror films which lead the way. Uh, Halloween Ends coming in fourth on that list with a drop of 80%. Uh, Geely leads the way with 81.9%. Some would say that was a horror film um, back in, in 2003. Uh, Replicas, 81.5%. And then Friday the 13th in 2009 dropped 80.4%. Um, it's not exactly a list you want to be on. Uh, and that's for films which released on over 2,000 theatres uh, coming in fourth Halloween ends. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ryan, my, why don't we jump back a second to Black Adam? Uh, we talked about the grosses, the three-day gross of 67 mil. Who showed up to actually buy the tickets to that? Well, we looked at some comparable films. And in a movie like Black Adam is going to have pretty obvious comparable films, which are Thor, Love and Thunder, the newest Doctor Strange movie, Eternals, Morbius, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and The Batman. And really, when we looked at the, the top choice there, which was Thor, Love and Thunder, what you saw was there were less in frequency that saw Black Adam, 25%, compared to 36% for Thor, Love and Thunder. So there were, there were people who just really hadn't seen stuff for a while that went and saw Thor, mm. whereas you saw more frequent moviegoers, which was 30% for Black Adam compared to 21%. For Thor, Love and Thunder. So one good thing there is that people that are going and enjoying movies wanted to go see Black Adam. And that's a good mm -hmm. sign. They also had a really good walk up audience, which is which is really strong for the film. In, in a way that was that that can be indicative of some good word of mouth. Because if you take out the thir their Thursday grosses, Saturday was an increase from Friday. Again, that's a good word of mouth. And that's always a positive thing. Age range was exactly the, the same when you compare it to Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, but more males saw the um, Black Adam than females for when you're doing the comparison. 71% of the audience was male for Black Adam, whereas compared 62% for Thor Love and Thunder. There might be the lead in Thor Love and Thunder that brought the ladies out a little bit more. But all in all, this is just a fantastic number. And just one other point about this, you know, over 30% of the box office was PLF or IMAX screens. That's again, a really good sign that people aren't just going to the movies, they wanna see it in the best screen possible. Yeah, and look, I think this one also calls out the role of professional film reviewers and critics. Are they in touch with the market? Because if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, 39% critics score, not, not that great at all, but sitting at 90% from the audience. And, um, you know, if, if you follow the critics, if you model based on their feedback, you probably would have underscored what that gross is. But this is a genuine audience film from, from one of the last genuine Hollywood stars who works his movies. And no doubt the marketing presence of, of Dwayne Johnson helped push a few extra people through the doors as well. I think you find that with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise and mm -hmm. Dwayne Johnson go and promote their films all around the world. And it's been indicative of the box office for the two films that they brought out this year. I mean, they, yeah. they've done incredibly well in their opening weekends. Well, there's another film that, that outperformed the expectations. Uh, Ticket to Paradise rolled into the domestic market after collecting a, a small fortune internationally uh, from at least rom-com standards. And it, of course, had two extra stars, uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Um, Simon touched on the box office, just as a reminder, 16.3 mil for the three-day. Who was the audience, Ryan? Well, it was interesting. When you look at comparable films, uh, some of them are really kind of odd. 
uh, we had Where the Crawdads Sing, Elvis, Mac and Rita, The Lost City. That makes that makes some good sense. Book Club, Amsterdam, Marry Me, and Mamma Mia too. So a little bit of different films that are are looking towards a little bit of an older audience. So I looked at Marry Me as sort of the real comparable there. And the less frequency was 32 to 38 percent. So 32 for Ticket to Paradise compared to 38 percent. Marry Me it isn't the perfect comparable film because it, it was I believe it was simultaneous uh, on, mm. on, on streaming at the same time. What we really saw what was really interesting here is the older crowd really wanted to see this. Uh, 25% of the audience was 55 to 64, and 31% was 65 and older. This really had a very specific audience that wanted to go see this, and that's and that's good because I think we've talked about this quite a bit over the last couple of months is that the older crowd has had a little bit of a struggle in coming back, and this was the movie that brought, maybe even brought some of them back that hadn't been there for a while. And as you can imagine, females represented more of the audience than males at 60% uh, compared to Marry Me. So 60% of the audience was female, and that's that's indicative for, for romantic comedies. Yeah, I think if we look at the, the Ticket to Paradise international numbers, where it's been out for, for a few weeks, I think it's in its sixth week in Australia now, where it's about to pass 10 million US dollars, which is a, a huge result there. Um, you know, perhaps that star power hasn't waned as much internationally as it has domestically with uh, Julia mm. Roberts and George Clooney in this example. I mean, the, the international cum now is a tick over $80 million from released in, in 78 markets. And that, that weekend one domestically of 16, uh, I think it will certainly overperform in the, in the international marketplace versus domestic. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell whether it's um, Hollywood stars in the movie that, that pull people along or the fact that stars are picked up in the publicity. And certainly with um, Dwayne Johnson, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, you know, they, they will get airtime and column inches in print uh, because of their caliber, whereas a nobody wouldn't. So whether it's on the screen or what they do before the screens, um, it, it certainly has paid off this weekend with two outperforming uh, titles and nice counter programming as well. You might even see that this film has a great holdover because there's not competition for this kind of film. So mm. maybe some of that older audience that doesn't go out the opening weekend, they're going to come back in the second weekend and you see a really small drop for Ticket to Paradise. That's a great point because, um, as we've mentioned previously, we did some work with AARP a few years ago and it showed that seniors do tend to hold off a little bit to go and see a film. Their desire's the same, but they just don't want to come in on opening weekend. And there is an awareness if they, they've signed up to loyalty newsletters and such, they would know it's week one of Black Panther, sorry, Black Adam. And um, even though that's not the film they would have picked, crowded cinema foyers are enough reason to wait a week to come back. So I think your, your comment about a hold couldn't be um, more valid there, Ron. And I, I will see it next week. I guess the other thing, of course, is, you know, the fickleness of, of the media. Rom-coms were dead. And then, of course, the LA Times this week has what the Ticket to Paradise box office opening says about the state of rom-coms. And uh, they're back, baby. So, you know, all it takes is one film for the structural erosion of the industry to be completely reversed. Oh, well said, hey, Matthew. Simon, there were a couple of other titles in, in market. Um, you touched on Halloween Ends, you touched on Smile, Banshees of Inner Sheeran. It's probably worth talking a little bit about just on the purse screens, if nothing else. Yeah, 180K from four screens for a screen average of, of a tick over $45,000. Uh, and as you alluded to, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and it seems the guys seem to be the two leads are doing the, the uh, media rounds at the moment. 
and charming people on late night shows and so on. I mean, it's going to be a specialized title, um, even at its widest, but this looks like it might break out within those boundaries uh, as it hits award season. Alrighty then, so why don't we turn our attention to this week's interview. We have a couple of our colleagues from Vista Entertainment come on board, uh, Tess Manchester and Swade Geiger, to have a bit of a chat about what they saw in Miami this week, um, or this week just passed for uh, Show East. So my guests today are two of the senior executives for Vista in the Americas region. Tess Manchester joined the Vista Group about 11 years ago, the last four as president USA at Vista Entertainment Solutions, and before that spent almost six years with Werenberg Theatres. And Swade Geiger has just crossed 10 years with Vista himself, with the last three being Chief Operating Officer of Vista Entertainment Solutions, LATAM, down in Mexico City. And I've asked both of them on the pod today because we wanted to hear the latest and greatest out of Show East. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thanks, Matthew. Hi, Swade. Hey, thanks, Matt. Buenos dias. Good morning. And muchas gracias. Thanks for having us on the podcast. Uh, Tess, good to hear from you, too. Uh, I was a little disappointed. We somehow didn't even manage to bump into each other in person in Miami. I think I owe you a Midori Sour. I'll have to take you up on that. I got a <laughs> glimpse of you, but we didn't get to cross paths. Well, this suggests we're going to have a content-rich chat today if you can't even say hello to each other. So you must have been busy over the trade show. Maybe we just start at the high level. Uh, what was the mood like? Uh, Tess, uh, from your perspective, why don't we kick off with you and then, Swade, I'd love to hear what you're hearing. Yes, it was nice to see everyone getting together again. There's there's quite a few shows throughout the year, but this was kind of more complimentary to CinemaCon where... At CinemaCon, you're kind of looking at the summer movies coming out and then Show East maybe more of the fall. I think it was particularly challenging, though, because the last couple of months were a bit sparse when it comes to content. So it, it felt like many of the exhibitors were still coming out of that, uh, just sort of still in this recovery mode and, and hoping that a couple of these fall movies will help see them through 2023. Yeah, and Sway, what were you hearing from from your clients and, and the Latin American part of the region? Yeah, sure. So as many of your listeners will know, Show East was canceled in 2020 and 2021, uh, in large part due to the pandemic and, and uh, lower expected attendance, particularly from the Latin American market. Uh, we really struggled in South America, Brazil, Chile, uh, other countries to contain case numbers and get back out there on the trade show circuit. Um, so the main contributor of the mood for, for me, like Tess said, it was just, it was good to be back. It was good to be back in Miami, good to be back at Show East since uh, late 2019. Uh, and Show East is, yeah, it's a little bit slower than CinemaCon, so it's a nice opportunity to sit down, uh, practice my Spanish that I've been learning here throughout the pandemic, and uh, sit down with clients, um, industry representatives, and vendors, uh, some that I never met in person after being down here for three years, uh, and others, uh, you know, that we hadn't seen in a long time. It's a good chance to share a meal, share a drink, uh, and not have to worry about a jam-packed schedule trying to make it to the next session. So, uh, yeah, we really enjoy Show East for, for those reasons. Yeah, and look, the, the last 12 months continues to be a little bit of a roller coaster, certainly more ups than downs. Um, but from your perspective, how did the year end up? You know, as, as you're talking to clients, we've come through that quiet August, September, you know, I think it was a few days before Black Adam hit, so the, the good news of the last couple of days was, was hope more than, than reality. So where were they on the roller coaster, upswing or downswing? Uh, yeah, like you said, Matthew, 2022 has really been a roller coaster. Uh, we've seen kind of all three different uh, situations. We started a little bit slower in the year, um, had a bit of an upswing during the summer months. You know, we, we saw some June and July numbers here in Latin America surpassing 2019 levels, which seems to be that 
magic metric we're all looking at. Um, but but Q3 has been tough the last couple of months here. Uh, people feel like they're back into survival mode. Uh, but I do think there is uh, some some hope, like you said, uh, going into November, December, trying to close the year out a little bit stronger than the last couple of months. And from the North American region test, what was the, the vibe from, from your clients and prospects? Yeah, it was definitely a bit like, let's get these these fall movies so we can survive the rest of, of 2022 and then have a bit more of a steady and diverse slate for 2023. There was quite a bit of talk around the types of movies that are available at the cinema right now. And a lot of it is more on those big action movies or superhero movies and a little bit less diverse content around other genres. And they, they talked a lot about comparing you know, bros with, with Ticket to Paradise, where maybe there's some sentiments that, oh, romantic comedies are, are dead on the big screen because of, you know, bros didn't turn out many, but then you turn around and there's Ticket to Paradise and perhaps with the star power there, some folks did come out if you look at those results. And now maybe romantic comedies aren't, aren't dead on the big screen. So it was some talk around how do we make sure the audience has diverse content when they show up at the cinema so that they keep building that habit of, oh yeah, there is a movie at the cinema for me to go see. And there's more than just these big action pictures. And I think 2023 has a little bit more diversity for sure, but it's also still packed with quite a few of those superhero movies as as well. Yeah. And Swade, we are going into that fall season at the moment, you know, and uh, titles like Meet the Fablemans, Armageddon Time, She Said, the award style titles. How do they play in Latin America versus the, the superhero films that Tess was just talking about? Is this a good time for you guys or are you waiting to the new year for the next batch of Marvel and DC? Yeah, I, I don't think they play quite as well for the market. You know, the focus on a lot of those titles is around award season, which is, is a bit more domestic market focused. Um, I think they do okay, but uh, but I think it's really the tent poles and some of the big releases, Marvel, uh, some of the things we're looking forward to in, in 2023 that will we'll do a bit stronger than, than those other titles. Yeah, and look, it was interesting, you know, we're talking about Ticket to Ride and it was future tense for the US market for, for Show East, but I see the LA Times is now writing about the future of rom-coms after the weekend performance. So um, yeah, it doesn't take much for the industry to swing their buzz back and forward. So one of the things I wanted to do talking to you is, is break down the official agenda versus what you might be hearing in the, the uh, bars and the, the restaurants you were talking about. So maybe starting out officially, what were the main uh, topics of conversation that you were hearing from the, the conference stage? Yeah, from the, the panels and the sessions, they were all really interesting. And one of the things I took away from it was definitely a talk about more hope, right? More hope for 2023 in the film slate and, and feeling pretty confident that 2024 will have more of a normal release schedule, but also just a little bit more conversation around how do we market the movie going experience as well, not just the movie itself, and also targeting a different kind of moviegoer, a younger moviegoer, a new generation, where are these people at and how do we meet them on the different social media platforms and, and bring them in or, or try to make going to the movie a, a must-see thing, you know, put a little bit of FOMO out there. So there was definitely a lot more talk 
like that, which I, I was reassured by. It's great to see more creative ideas coming out there and not just solely relying on a movie trailer or, or that kind of marketing. And just a little bit more around an open mind of bringing in younger leaders and more diverse leaders into the industry to help usher in this new, I guess, generation of moviegoers that, that we could be seeing. That sounds exciting. Yeah, definitely. Outside of the sessions, I think it was still a little bit more of that venting about the last couple of months and, and the struggles around that and really hoping that Wakanda Forever and Avatar perform really well to help see them through the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. So did you hear anything different or, or was it more reinforcement of what Tess said? Yeah, that, that aligns quite well with what uh, we were hearing generally. Um, but I, I did just want to take an opportunity to talk about a few LATAM-specific uh, items from, from the stages. You know, despite the official kickoff being on, on Tuesday, um, Showies does start on Monday, and, and they hold a LATAM-focused session there. Um, I thought that was a good session. Uh, some, some presentations from Paramount, Sony, and Warner Brothers outlining some of their upcoming content. But uh, also a nice highlight of some of the local Latin American content that's been coming out. Um, it's definitely a growing space, especially when uh, the Hollywood content is a little harder to come by or, or it's releasing day and date as well. So that kind of supplements some of the, the Hollywood titles. One of the other really big highlights of the show for us in particular was Miguel Mir, the COO from Cinepolis, uh, which is headquartered here in Mexico, but operates something like 800 sites globally in, in nearly 20 countries, uh, including across Europe, the Middle East, uh, Asia Pacific. Miguel accepted the International Exhibitor of the Year Award. Um, which was really great to see and, and well-deserved. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Cinepolis may have been one of the only or, or perhaps the only exhibitor that grew during the pandemic and added sites to their circuit. Uh, so that was great for him to accept that award. Um, the other thing that I touched on briefly was just um, streaming popping up at the uh, at, at the conference and, and throughout the industry. It's obviously a, a headline-breaking uh, topic, right? Um, I've been here in Mexico for about three years, and, and when I arrived, it was basically Netflix and Amazon Prime. Um, Cinepolis had Cinepolis Click, uh, but that was about it. And since that time, we've seen Disney Plus launch, along with Star Plus, uh, which shows all the Fox and ESPN content, including live sports for the region. HBO Max has come to the party. Uh, so there is still a lot of buzz around streaming and how that's impacting our industry uh, in the execution space as well. So I was going to, just as a follow-up on streaming, um, one of the things I've noticed even on Netflix down here in New Zealand is the um, increase in Spanish language titles coming up, um, some of which are coming from LATAM, others from, from Europe. Are there similar conversations as what we're hearing with domestic and Western market of, you know, things like Me Time and Red Notice, titles that you would expect to go to theaters going to streaming? Is that happening with the domestic content you're seeing in Mexico especially? Uh, I think it's happening, you know, roughly the same as it, as it is in the domestic market, um, more than people want to see. Um, but less so than during during the middle of the pandemic, right? Uh, it, it is good to see uh, you know more more Spanish content becoming available, um, and, but I don't know that that's you know, contributing significantly to a decline in, in cinema attendance, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sorry, you were, I, I cut you off to, to ask that question. You had some some other insights. Yeah, you know, uh, Tess did a great job, kind of contrasting the. Uh, what are people talking about during the, the sessions and at the, the show versus maybe what's happening uh, in, in other venues around Miami? Um, I, you know, I don't think people are all that shy to kind of speak up. You know, Tess, Tess mentioned 
uh, struggling the last few months. That was definitely a, a recurring theme. I think streaming was a recurring theme. Um, and like Tess said before, you know, really just getting a consistent slate of content, both in kind of varying levels of, of quality that we might come to expect and across multiple genres. You, know, uh, you meant, we talked about romantic comedies doing well. We've seen horror do pretty well in the last month uh, or so, kind of going into the whole uh, Halloween season. Um, but where is the family-friendly content? Where are the romantic comedies? And where are the films that can get anyone out to the cinema and not just those diehard fans, right? Um, the, the temple releases kind of make or break our industry, as, as most of us know. But it's that steady stream uh, of content in between there that keeps the lights on throughout the year, right? Yeah, yeah. And especially the family films have seemed to have been a little light at the moment. So... Talking of movies, um, what were people talking about, you know, in terms of the content as opposed to the industry that you might have heard about? Were there movies in particular that, that, that were capturing attention and conversation? Tess, what were you hearing? I was hearing a lot of talk about what's going on right now with the movies. For example, Halloween Ends, you know, that played in theaters at the same time as it, as it was streaming. And... There was some hope out of that, even though maybe some disappointment that it wasn't only in theaters exclusively. People thought it was hopeful seeing the box office returns there that even when you know moviegoers have a choice of watching the film from home or, or coming out to the cinema, people did come out even though they could watch it at home. So that was pretty promising. There were some, I don't know if I'd call them lessons learned, maybe taking away from the gentle minions piece that happened where it seemed like some people were talking about, oh, well, if we had known about gentle minions in advance, we could have done a few things like taking some proactive security measures, but also maybe playing off of that and making the movie a little bit more of an event to come out and see it. And a lot of the staff in the cinemas are younger, maybe they're high school or college kids. And, and I'm you know, sure a lot of them are on TikTok and how can cinemas pull out from their own staff what's going on on these platforms and how might they leverage that in the cinema to market films. So I thought that was pretty interesting to see kind of talking about those different things uh, about the movies. Yeah. Yeah. And so how about you? What was the, the content talk or, or content adjacent talk that you were hearing? Yeah, sure. You know, as Tess mentioned, a lot of the focus is on Wakanda Forever and uh, Avatar coming out a little bit later this year, uh, really kind of trying to save the last few months, uh, some challenges that the, the industry and especially on the exhibition side have been, been going through lately. Um, outside of that, you know, alternative events, I think, are still are still growing. Uh, that's a trend that you know, was, was prevalent before the pandemic and something that we're still kind of seeing exhibitors dipping their toes into esports or um, live theater or, or, or other opportunities. Um, I've heard about some some uh, real sport events, which uh, I think we, we know that there's uh, a massive opportunity, but some challenges there within the industry to, to get that uh, going uh, in a bigger way. Yeah, excellent. So just to wrap up, how would you personally each rate 2022 and what are you most looking forward to for the industry and, and for VIST going into 23? Uh, Swade, why don't you kick that one off? Yeah, sure. Um, 2022, uh, especially if you kind of get rid of the last couple of months, has really been a solid rebuilding and a recovery year. Uh, from the beginning of the pandemic, we, we've really all been asking ourselves, when do we get back to 2019? I, I mentioned that as a magic metric before that kind of tells us that cinema is back. Um, I've always been kind of a firm 
proponent that 2023 is the year that we get back to 2019. Uh, I still think we have a chance, uh, but it's going to be it's going to be closer than I thought it would. Um, I do think Avatar is going to perform well. I think that's going to hold through January into February. Um, but if I kind of flip flip the question, um, I can tell you that I, I wish there was a lot more original content coming out. Uh, if you just, if you look at sequels and remakes for next year, it's it's a lot. Um, the numbers are staggering. There's a Magic Mike. There's a Creed. There's Shazam. John Wick. There's another Fast and the Furious. A Little Mermaid remake. Another Indiana Jones. Mission Impossible, The Meg, a Dune movie, and another Hunger Games. And so, um, you know, may- maybe, maybe just maybe, getting people back to the cinemas is about uh, giving them a familiar title, maybe reminding them of the last time they were there, and, and hopefully everyone will come out in 2020. Yeah, fingers crossed. Tess, how about you? 2022 seemed to be very promising, I thought, as in terms of where the industry is going, and just proving that moviegoers will come back and they enjoy the cinema experience and want to see movies there. I think, you know, we saw them come out for, of course, the superhero movies, but we also saw them come out for other content, a few of the kids' movies, the horror movies, things like that. So I think it's really just a, a promising indicator of what can happen in 2023 and 2024. And, the, you know, just attending the show helped, I think, pull the threads together as to what we need to see in the industry to have it really return to those levels to have like a really killer 2024 even which are you know we need content it's got to be steady and it's got to be diverse uh, we need to really focus on that moviegoer experience and and messaging out to to people and in, in different groups not just maybe the typical or traditional moviegoer and then this outlook of, hey, if we collaborate more with, you know, between the streamers and the distributors and the exhibitors, review that that business model and, and those windows and just really work together, there could be some really great outcomes from that leading into the next two years for our industry. That's a great place to leave it with that, that hope and optimism there. So, Swade and Tess, thank you so much for sharing your, your insights and, and uh, what you learned from the corridors of Miami for Show East. Look forward to keeping in contact and uh, all the best going into the holiday season for you and for the industry. So great to talk to you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Matthew. Well, with Halloween coming up, we have Pray the Devil coming out this weekend. Tar goes wide and Armageddon time is going to be limited this coming weekend. So like we had this past weekend, we've got a little bit of something for everybody. Looks great. And in that spirit, Armageddon out of here. Bye, guys. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow Movio, Numero, and Vista Group on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna.